maybe you have one arrow that curves from over here all the way over there. That's that's fantastic. You know, <laughs> between the kids and, and work, uh, there isn't all that much time left. So there's actually negative time left. Well, I'm going to post this paper <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to MATLAB Balance. Today we have two guests, Jeremiah Heller and Vesna Stoyanovska, who are both professors at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, working on homotopy theory and its interactions with algebraic geometry. Welcome, Vesna and Jeremiah. Uh, hello. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah. This is fun, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> well, for me too. Since you're a family of mathematicians, I'm particularly interested in your math life balance. But first, uh, could you tell us a bit about your family, all the kids, dogs, who, who are the participants? <laughs> a family uh, of bikes. <laughs> yeah. We have uh, two kids, uh, Ivo and Elka, a five-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. And a six-year-old dog. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and there may be other creatures living in our house that we, are, that we have not invited. <laughs> like who? You know, bugs and mice. Raccoons <laughs> occasionally come to visit. <laughs> there's, a, there's a possum that hangs out on our porch sometimes. Possum? Wow. <laughs> we, can, we, live, uh, we live in the middle of a cornfield, so there's there's lots of wildlife. Not because of the cornfield. <laughs> Yeah, we provide refuge to the animals who have, you know, who experience food, <laughs> difficulty finding food across the cornfields. I think uh, Vesna, what Vesna is uh, wanting to say is, is that we haven't weeded or mowed in a while. <laughs> <laughs> who is the wildest creature that came across? Well, our dog Boschko got in a fight with a skunk uh, two years ago. I don't know if this was the wildest, but it was certainly the smelliest. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, coyotes. I think that's the answer. Coyotes are the wildest creature. That's uh... <clears throat> although I don't know. Evil and elk are pretty wild. That's fair. <laughs> One representative of coyotes was the last creature I met before the pandemic exploded. It was an MSRI and I was on the walk in the woods and then there was someone who was much bigger than a dog and it looked kind of like a wolf and I didn't know who it was. So I felt like Alice in Wonderland because the only thing that came up to my mind was to ask this creature, excuse me, are you a wolf? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, got upset. I was like, no. <laughs> Standing and staring at each other until more tourists came and they were like, oh, coyotes. And then the creature ran away and I knew it was not it. <laughs> they yeah. do like to live in urban areas or I don't know if they like to, but they do um, hang out in urban areas like in Chicago. Occasionally there's news reports of coyotes going to a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> Let me try to somehow figure out how does your math life balance work although i suspect uh, it's complicated to explain but do you try to somehow separate math from family time or 
it, it happens. Uh, it essentially happens. So, uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> you, you can't really do math with two little kids running around. Uh, so it just happens somehow naturally that it is balanced out. Um, but I, I mean, I think even before kids, mm-hmm. we would try to not. I mean, That's it's true. hard to. You know, it's hard not to do math uh, when something's on your mind. Um, but I, I think that we generally made it a point of going home and being at home and not doing math, at least not until late at night. <laughs> sure. um, yeah. In... I mean, now it, ha- now, it, now it happens because kids, you know, they need what they need. And they need it now. <laughs> It's not waiting. <laughs> and if you take something, if you take a piece of paper out to look at, it's going to get drawn on. That's what paper is for. It's for drawing on. If you have a conversation, they want to know what everything means and why you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like this. I mean, it would be hard for me personally to have, you know, math at work and math at home and math all the time. Like, I, I need the time to sort of, I don't know, think about something else or nothing at all. So you mentioned that kids wanted to know if you have a conversation, what means what? So how do do they get curious about like your math or not yet or not? Yeah, yeah. Evil loves arrows. Yeah, like, I mean. When you draw a diagram, like commutative diagrams. (laughs) You know, there's there's arrows, there's arrows and diagrams all over everything (laughs) that we write and do. And he gets super excited about arrows, especially like when, you know, maybe you have one arrow that curves from over here all the way over there. That's that's fantastic. You know, (laughs) amazing. That's right. (laughs) We've had a bunch of demands where like we need to write a lot, you know, draw lots of arrows for him. He'll see, he'll see one of our papers lying around and he'll say, I really like that arrow. <laughs> I think he chose parents in the right area of mathematics. <laughs> I mean, he also liked our calculus exam. That was oh, yeah, out. yeah. I think probably he was the number one fan of our calculus exam. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking at it and he was asking, did, did you make those pictures? You know, because there was, you know, there's graphs of interesting surfaces. Uh, vector fields. Vector fields. Oh, yeah. He loves the vector fields. Lots yeah. of arrows. Oh, that's like <laughs> paradise. Anyway. Yeah. He, I think he liked the exam a lot more than our students did. <laughs> that's right. He colored on it. He, he, <laughs> he daubed it. That's right. I guess the only other math. I mean, other than, you know, basic things like numbers and adding numbers and something like this is we got him a book about um, shapes. What was that thing called? What's which one doesn't belong? Something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. It was sort of like a symmetry slash topology geometry kind of book for little kids. Um, yeah. He had lots of fun with that. Yeah. So it's... You know, like on every page, it would be like a puzzle, like which one of these, there, there'd be like four shapes uh, and it would be which one of these doesn't belong. And the interesting thing is, is, is any answer is correct. Like there's always, there's always something that distinguishes one of the shapes from the others. Um, and the other three have something in common. So uh, any answer is correct. And the interesting thing is to figure out why 
is it correct? Why is this one the one that doesn't belong? Why is that one the one that doesn't belong? And he had a lot of fun uh, with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially he had a lot of fun, like when someone would choose a diff- something different than what he chose. And he wanted to always know why. Why did you choose that one? Why did I choose this one? Sounds interesting. I like the that there are many right answers. Yeah, 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 it's a good book. Yeah. So is it important for you to bring to your kids' interest to math? <laughs> Not particularly. No. I mean... I think it just happens. I mean, kids yeah. are curious about a lot of things. I mean, the both, both our kids seem to like numbers a lot since... People comment that it's because we do math. I'm not convinced, but they might be onto something. We do diagrams, come on. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we particularly insist on math uh, as opposed to anything else. To me personally, it's important that they learn how to reason. Um, and math is just one aspect of that, maybe. I don't care whether they become mathematicians or not it's really um, um, you know it's their decision not mine it's funny because sometimes sometimes parents want their kids to do the same thing and sometimes parents are like no never do this yeah i don't i don't i don't think that i care what they do (laughs) 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 i mean you know as as long as they're doing something that they like right i mean i i think i think I think all parents, like the number one thing that they care about is, is for their kids to be happy. Um, I mean, even, even if, even if someone's saying, oh, I really want my kid to do blah, I don't think they really mean it. What they really mean is just they want their kid to be happy. And then they perceive that that's the way to happiness or something. Yeah, Um, Yeah, no, um, I mean, I don't think we've talked much at home about, uh, you know, what it's like to be a mathematician. We've talked a bit about the fact that we're also teachers, among other things. Uh, yeah. We've talked about the fact that we have blackboards in our, oh, yeah. at our workplace. Yeah, that's... And that's, <laughs> that's definitely something that they're excited about. <laughs> you know, chalk. Uh, kids like chalk. So. Do they come to play sometimes in your office? Um, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. Evo, I took Evo to office hours actually several times when there was uh, daycare issues um, pre-COVID, and he was small enough that that was manageable. Now that wouldn't work, but at that point in time, basically, I carried him in, I held him in my arms, and he had his piece of chalk and was writing on the board while I was talking to students with other chalk, and he loved it. At some point, I was actually wondering this thing about why mathematicians like blackboards so much. And I was thinking, you know, also in terms of our kids liking, uh, you know, chalk and blackboards. And and I I keep wondering, like, is this some kind of thing where, you know, this is one aspect in which we're sort of still children? One aspect in which we have not grown up. We just like to play with chalk. <laughs> Do you think it's the only one or are there other aspects? Oh, there's definitely others. I mean, I don't, I don't know. What does it mean to grow up? I, I don't know. It means everything hurts. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can check that box off. <laughs> yeah, I also wonder about it. Somehow when I was younger, I thought that adults are people who have stability in their lives, who have figured it all out, you know, who have jobs and kids and they know what they're doing with their lives. That was the, the most important criterion was knowing what you're doing with your life and being certain about it. Somehow the more I grew up, the more questions I have and the less certain I feel about the main aspects of life. <laughs> do you think you're growing up or do you think you're uh, making reverse growing up progress? I don't know. Something is clearly wrong. Either the concept of an adulthood or the process. <laughs> I don't think I felt ever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't understand what adulthood is. I, I mean, I don't know if I ever had any definite, uh, you know, thoughts about what that means, as as you expressed, Mara. But um, I, you know, I, I keep thinking it must be some kind of. Uh, I don't know, front that people put in. Like, you know, you have to project some kind of stability to your own kids and to society to sort of, you know, say, well, look, I can take care of children. Um, but beyond that, like, I don't know. It's still... Do you feel grown up? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Our son yesterday was... Uh was saying he was really excited to be really, really old. When he gets really old, he's going to be nine. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess I guess the concept of I guess the concept of growing up is relative. <laughs> okay, you said that you don't do math at home, but do you sometimes work with each other or discuss research? We talk about math quite a bit. I guess we haven't written any papers together, but no. we we definitely talk about math, um, you know, no matter what it is we're working on. I think we started some papers. We have started papers. Yeah. That's true. Are we, <laughs> let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll finish them someday. <laughs> Does it help you that you can talk, discuss math with each other? Is it a big component? It helps me. I hope it helps you. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it's helpful. Um, I feel comfortable asking uh, stupid questions. Uh, or, you know, uh, Jeremiah, m more comfortable than, you know, than I would be asking somebody else. It's nice uh, having a partner who knows what you're doing. Um, a lot of, a lot of people have said uh, things along the lines of my so-and-so has no idea what I'm doing all day long. And in this particular case, it's sort of not just, you know, in the abstract, <laughs> also sort of like the gory technical details sometimes. I mean, not always, but often. Since this year, um, our offices are um, next to each other. There is, uh, we're in a swing space because our um, building is getting rebuilt, renovated, things like that. Um, and where here where we are now, there's basically nobody else. So, <laughs> <laughs> we better make that work. <laughs>
the rest of our department seems to <laughs> they wanted to get rid of us like go away <laughs> the rest of our department is mostly in a different building on the other side of campus <laughs> a couple of different buildings on the other side of campus <laughs> that's true <laughs> i think as far away as possible <laughs> like we'd have to go i think we'd have to go to the cow fields given the situation you described that there is you know your family math and um cows around uh do you sometimes uh, feel stuck in the math bubble like is it ever a problem that you're socializing is mathematicians i guess we we use our kids to to make, <laughs> <laughs> to make friends outside of math <laughs> <laughs> that's one way <laughs> You know, like yeah. we go and play dates with uh, parents of kids that they know. Yeah. Yeah. Other other than that, it's hard to actually to meet people who aren't doing mess. Um, I think. I mean, this is this has been a, I think, always a problem. Like from grad school on, um, it's somehow you know you spend all of your time doing math and at conferences with your friends who do math and thus everyone you know is a mathematician which is fine you know there's lots of interesting people who do math um, but yeah it, i it would it would be nice if our social circle was larger so you're saying the easiest way for mathematicians to socialize outside math is to have kids Uh, yeah, that's, this is this is what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying that you know, if you're a mathematician and you want to know non math non mathematicians, what you have to do is have children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way, really. <laughs> I once went to Morocco for a few days, and when I came back, my colleagues asked, "Oh." How was it? Was it really exotic? And I said, yes, it was very exotic. I met three non-mathematicians. It's also true that, you know, that's, you have kids. Uh, how are you going to, like, ever spend time around adults? Your children have playdates. I mean, yeah, sort of between, exactly, sort of, you know, between the kids and, and work, uh, there isn't all that much time left, so. There's actually negative time left. great for a relation. <laughs> yeah, how, how, how do you meet uh, non-mathematicians besides going to Morocco? <laughs> I fail. I mean, the funny thing is that every time I meet a new mathematician, they ask about my life and I, I tell about my life. And there is always a moment when that person tells me, oh, you're only spending time with mathematicians. You should stop, break that habit, go see other people. But that person who's telling it is always a mathematician. I don't know, there is something wrong with this. <laughs> but yeah, I would love to meet non-mathematicians. The furthest I can get is programmers and computer scientists. I mean, moving around all the time doesn't help either. No. So speaking of moving, did you ever have a two bodies problem to solve? We just got very lucky. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we spent a few, I don't know, what, two years? Two years, yeah. Two years um, in a long-distance relationship. 
we first decided that we had enough of that and then got very, very lucky to, to get these jobs um, here. So you said you decided that you've had enough of long distance. What would you do if you didn't weren't uh, lucky? I, I wanted to open a bakery. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, it's hard to say if that would have actually happened, but I, I think that was my backup plan uh, was to open a bakery. Do you regret it? <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> but, you know, that's hard work. You have to get up very early in the morning. And unfortunately, a flaw, flaw in this plan is, is that I don't actually like to get up early in the morning. So <laughs> it's hard to say, like... I should start a collection. I already know mathematicians whose backup plans besides bars are a coffee shop, a tea house, and now a bakery. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, those are all excellent uh, <laughs> options. Yeah. Do you know anyone who's who's uh, who's actually done it? done it? No, no, no. I mean, I don't. I'm, I would love to know mathematicians who decided to do something completely different. Did you also have a dream of a backup plan that is uh, not academic? I mean, I, I keep sort of fantasizing about doing something with yarn, knitting or dyeing yarn or, you know, making patterns or having a yarn shop. Oh, I remember you knitting on a conference. That's true. I think so. Yeah. I, you know, I, I usually uh, try to hold something in my hands. Otherwise, my hands seem to take a life of their own um, when I'm, you know, like <laughs> only engaging other parts of my, you know, brain and body. So um, so it, it does help me actually sort of follow a talk uh, rather than space out completely. Do you ever struggle to sit through talks at conferences? You know, I, you know, remember conferences? Um, it's been a while. Um you know, well, occasionally, I guess I've been to like one or two talks in the past semester uh, in person, and I, I miss that. I mean, it's much easier to follow a talk in person than on Zoom. And you know, these I find Zoom it really talks hard like, to follow talks on Zoom yeah. on on the computer. Yeah, no, I and I don't blame all the students who are having trouble with you know online lecturing and stuff like that i don't know my personal theory now that i understand much of it is that like everything just blends in it's your computer that you keep staring at and so like there's no walking in there you don't know you know you don't see the person talking the person's around you walking to the talk you know, if you're going to remember what the, even what the talk is about, let's not even put any high kind of um, thresholds there as to like what, you know, let's say you just want to say like, okay, do I remember what the talk was about? Like, it's hard to remember if you've done like 10 of them in a week, let's say, they just all blend in because um, there's no like outside markers to to sort of help you distinguish like, okay, this is the person with you know that shirt who walks funny in funnily or you know whatever or this is the talk when you know the person sat next sitting next to me told the joke about something was there some talks some live talk from back in the days that you remember because of some funny detail 
I mean, my absolute favorite talk ever, I think, is Mike Hopkins' talk at the homotopy theory conference we had here um, for Paul Gorsh's birthday. It's on YouTube. You should watch it if you haven't. There's a story there about the mean streets of Evanston. <laughs> um, it's wonderful. <laughs> Probably like my my next five favorites were, were going to be the similar kind of thing where, you know, Hopkins gives, you know, a talk and then inserts some wonderful, ridiculous, funny story. I mean, I have the same taste. I totally adore Mike's lectures. I even showed them to my parents who are not mathematicians. <laughs> the ones I could find on YouTube. So, and I, I've heard a bunch of people having the same opinion. So does it? mean that many of us miss storytelling in math talks in general? I probably, don't you think? I mean, I think, uh, I think people like stories. It's how we understand things. We understand, I, I think, I think we understand things through stories. Uh, up until recently, all knowledge was passed through stories. So it's probably hardwired in us to really connect to stories. So any 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 math talk that has a good compelling story in it, I think, is going to be more memorable. Um, it's not always easy to tell stories, but we like them. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that. Speaking of funny details at talks, that I remember Jeremiah's talk from Essen, where in the beginning of the talk, Jeremiah had a cup of coffee in his hand, and you know I was waiting for the cup of coffee to be landed on some surface in the next minutes, but then during the whole one-hour talk, the cup of coffee migrated from one hand to the other, but did not touch any surface. I found it very impressive, given that you have to erase from the board and you know write on the <laughs> coffee. <laughs> I mean, you have to hold on to your prized possessions. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first stories that Jeremiah told me was, um, well, it's not really a story, but some report on some research again that people had done uh, about how oh, people yeah. are much more optimistic when holding on to like a warm, you know, like people are interviewed, you know, holding on to like a warm cup of tea or coffee or something cold, was it something like that, or yeah. nothing, or something right. like this. And the people who are holding the warm cup in their hands are much more optimistic and positive. <laughs> so when you speak about your conjectures, it helps. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to post this paper <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Till the end of the week, for sure. <laughs> Could you tell, what do you think are the differences in your approaches to mathematics? <laughs> you mean like math research? I mean, I don't know, maybe something you learned from each other in terms of doing math. We've talked about math for a long time now. This is a hard question. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, so your the question was, what are our differences in what are what are some differences in in each of our approaches to doing mathematics? And 
it occurs to me, I don't know what my approach to doing mathematics is. <laughs> this was my first thought. <laughs> don't let that stop you answering the question. <laughs> so, I don't know. Let's let's think about this. What uh, what is what is what are our approaches to doing mathematics? What what does it mean to do mathematics? I I mean, so one so one thing that it means superficially is is to write papers. Um, but in my mind, doing mathematics is not really, I mean, we write papers because people tell us that we have to write papers, I guess. Um, I mean, we write papers to, to tell other people what we're thinking about. Um, but you can do that by using words out loud. Papers are made out of words. Um, but, you know, that, that has the disadvantage that you only... You only communicate things to um, people who happen to have the patience to listen to you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is that what? What does it mean to do mathematics? And I was thinking more like you know how you think about math and things like that. Um, and that's why I was saying like we've talked about math and we've learned things together uh, for a while now that. I don't know if there's really any huge differences. Maybe I like tend to like compute things more first before thinking abstractly, like categorically. Maybe not. I don't know if that's actually true. Now you represent like some mathematical superpower that has, you know, united and somehow transformed so that you don't. <laughs> it's a good question. But again, yeah, I think that maybe how, what we're understanding as approach in doing mathematics is crucial here because I, I don't know actually what that means anymore. You just sit down and do something, think about something and and think about it some more, see if it you know, catches your attention enough so you can sit with it for a long enough time to get anywhere. I'd say that's my approach of doing mathematics. What's your approach? <laughs> I find a problem that piques my interest. I sit down and, and think if I have any thoughts on it and Most of the time, the answer is, well, <laughs> I, right. I have thoughts that aren't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very similar approach in that <laughs> it takes us a while to get anywhere. <laughs> and I think that's normal for most yeah. people. Okay, but there is something else that must be different sometimes. I mentioned that your levels of excitement and demotivation about research may not coincide or that like you know if, if it's not a constant function then there must be some uh differences and how how does it uh work for you then i don't think we're synced in that way i don't think we try to sync <laughs> um yeah but does it affect you somehow when when the other person is in a different phase or maybe i guess to be completely honest you know Sometimes if I'm if I lack motivation or inspiration or all those things and things aren't going, 
and I see Jeremiah working late at night after the kids are asleep, I, I do feel guilty. Uh, but then, you know, I also understand that that's not a very rational response or feeling or anything. I don't think it matters that, you know, who this is. Like, you know, when, you know, when things aren't like going so great for me and I see people showing off how well things are going for them in math, then I just sort of feel, you know, like maybe, I I, I don't know, like I feel like I'm not doing something right. Um and then I sit with that feeling for a little bit and, and just work through it. And, uh, you know, I always rationally understand that that's not a reasonable response. People have ups and downs. That's just normal. It, it does take a while to sort of get out of um, that mindset and then, you know, start small, readjust goals and... Um, start again find some you know like I, I have you know one of my ways of doing doing this thing is I don't know just you know finding something small and finding something that that feels good and doesn't feel like too overwhelming and then I work on that and gain some confidence and proceed which kind of small thing can it be I always have several projects going on at different kind of with, you know, not really active at all times, but, you know, some of them are more manageable than others. And some of them are more um, challenging. And if, if all the things that I'm currently, you know, say working on and that, you know, like I just undo the priorities, like I readjust the priorities, you know, like maybe there's a paper that's almost done, but, you know, there's part of it that's stressing me out. And if I'm feeling low, then I, you know, uh, it takes a, a while to summon up the energy to say, okay, well, actually, no, I'm going to readjust my priorities because I, the priority should be for me to not feel so overwhelmed by it. And then, um, you know, then I, I find, you know, something else, you know, I read something, I try to, you know, Think about the small thing without, I don't know, I don't know, you know, maybe there's a collaborator that I particularly feel, you know, connection with. So then I work with them. It's always something different. This happens often. <laughs> Jeremiah, you have anything to add? I, I'm, I'm not so eloquent. <laughs> I think a lot of what, what Besna said also holds for me. Um, I think I, I think I, I tend to have more of a steady feeling. I think maybe I don't get as excited. I don't think, I don't think my highs are as high or my lows are as low. I think I just, even when I'm not enthusiastic about something, I think I just slog through it. Um, a little bit more. Um, mm, interesting. But I also, I think I lose motivation very quickly. I like working with people um, because it's, I don't know, it's really hard for me to be motivated to do something if it's, if I feel like I'm just doing it for myself. I like having co-authors because you can talk with the other person and feel more motivated. Um, I think the 
last time I wrote a paper by myself was sort of a, you know, some extra details at the different prime for my thesis. So like, you know, um, working with people definitely is the way to go. Yeah. I think mathematics, you know, what does it mean? To, so I'm still stuck on the idea of what does it, what does it mean to do mathematics? I still don't know. Um, uh, but I think it's a social endeavor. I think mathematics is, is very much a social project. Uh, there's this old idea that uh, mathematicians should, you know, do everything by themselves, you know, figure everything out from scratch for themselves, write papers by themselves. Single author papers are, you know, the, the best thing a mathematician can do. I, I think that I think that idea is changing. For the better. For the better. I I, I have been thinking a bunch about what it means to you know like yeah what it means to do math and um right like there's I guess your mindset like we. Sometimes, you know, there's this idea that doing math or the outcomes of doing math are papers, but, um, you know, then, then you know, I, I was recently thinking back to like, okay, why did I, how did I end up being here? It's not because like I had this idea that like, oh, I'm going to write math papers, therefore I need to go to math grad school. Um it was always just sort of like in the moment enjoying the act you know learning stuff uh in math and um so so actually it, i i've been uh focusing more on, on finding that joy again um to sort of you know just sit there with something and and learn and explore rather than just keep always in mind, like I need to produce a paper, which is, I don't know, does not motivate me. And I guess, well, right. It, it takes, you know, it's easier to say that, you know, on this side of the tenure process. Um, I mean, this whole period, you know, like from towards the end of grad school, from like writing a thesis till, you feel a little bit of um, relief, um, you know, you get tenure and say, well, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay now for a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't quite feel like that, but still, you know, it's been, it's been a constant pressure, stress, all of that, you know, having to um, keep producing and, uh maybe in during this whole time like there's there's burnout there's loss of motivation and so so I, i've yeah I, i've been thinking about like why is it that i'm here and the reason is of course not because i wanted to write i don't know papers um yeah i will say that writing papers is nice to organize ideas i find yeah. i find that I'm super disorganized um, and there's nothing like sitting down and actually writing it down for real to sort of force you to sort of organize things and also to find out how wrong you were. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's just the sort of like 
when you're doing it with that intention rather than with the intention of putting something on your CV. Yeah. It's different. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yes, you're actually the person who, from whom I learned that uh, collaborations are the way to go because I remember I was in the beginning of my PhD and I met you at a conference and I mean, I talked to you online and I saw that almost all your papers are in collaborations and back then it was surprising. So I remember asking you why why are all your papers in collaboration? And you said, oh, it's more fun. And I was so shocked that like a, a professor can say the word fun about writing papers. Like this back then was very surprising as an answer. <laughs> but I learned that it's legit to admit that you optimize for increasing fun while doing something as serious as writing my papers. Yeah, actually, you know, I mean, absolutely, yes. And, um, but this thing about like the, I don't know how new this thing is, but I, I think some people, even of like an older generation, have understood how important it is to collaborate. Like Mark Mahowald was a person who um, wouldn't work on something um, unless he had a collaborator to work with. I had, I guess, the privilege to talk to him a little bit when I was in grad school about math, and he would tell me a bunch of things where it's like, well, you know, I figured this out back then, but I didn't have a collaborator, so I didn't write it. Um, which is, um, yeah, I can I can relate to that. <laughs> like maybe I don't know. If, like I felt then, um, you know, like that. That's maybe maybe that's what I learned from that is that that it's okay. Um, that that's a legitimate uh, approach. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for legitimizing these things. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know where did this idea come from that that math and maybe other sort of academic subjects need to be so um, like individual. Maybe it was difficult for people to, you know, like technologically, maybe it was difficult to write a paper together, you know, with five people, like how do you, and so like then one person will write it. Like, you know, which which one came first? Like, was it, was it the idea that it should be an individual endeavor or was it this tec technical difficulty that, um, that then turned it into, oh, like you have to write it by yourself because otherwise it means, you know, if, you know, two people write together, then it means that either the more senior person or the wider person or the more male person wrote the paper and the other person did not, um, you know, was just had their name attached to it or something. Like maybe, I think maybe it's like people just don't, uh, yeah, weren't very um, creative about writing collaboratively and I'm sure people exchanged ideas a bunch yeah probably I mean we have all these letters of mathematicians to each other right yeah yeah I've just yesterday learned that Fermat's Christmas theorem is because it was a letter written on Christmas I didn't know why <laughs> let me ask you for the end uh do you um have any advice for people who want to do math and have a family at the same time? Take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> advice? 
just do it. Don't uh, create too much pressures of on exactly what it is or isn't going to be. Um, I think everyone. I think I think everyone has their own way of wading through the muck. I mean, it's there's there's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of finding the right balance and what that means for one person, what it means for a different person. I, I think it's all different. The way you phrased the question is sort of like, wait, you know, let's <laughs> let's back it up a little bit. Like, I think this idea that to do math, you need to like fully devote yourself to only math and math only and nothing else. I don't think that was probably ever true. I don't know. Um, I mean, true enough, there were people, uh, you know, back in the day, men who had, you know, had families but were never there for their families and only, like, did work all the time. Uh, but I don't think that's probably not also, like, math only um, that, and or academia only. And, I mean... It's just the culture. Anyway, uh, luckily, we don't... I mean, we do actually suffer some of the consequences of that, uh, for sure. I don't know who, you know, how people do math, but I imagine that also, like, working on math, like, 12 hours a day, every day, is not sustainable for most people, you know, and this is not a new phenomenon, you know, like there's these, you know, famous mathematicians from the past who, you know, whatever, only worked, you know, for four hours a day. And I think the premise that you uh, must sort of uh, not focus on family or your personal life in order to uh, succeed in your mathematical career, well, I would like to imagine the world where that's absolutely not an issue and like currently it, it actually is um but i don't think we should give it too much weight too much importance and like if we treat it as something completely normal then it will become normal um and you know a lot of universities say in the u.s have you know, under, you know, understand this well. You know, there's like dual career programs. Um, there is, um, you know, like unlike I guess the rest of uh, the U.S.'s uh, workforce, universities tend to be better with say parental leaves. Like, I don't think it should be a big issue. And if it is, we we need to just you know take whatever, you know, like we just need to work to normalize it and not make a big deal out of it. Like having a family should not be um, a deal breaker for anything. Like <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's something that people do. It's not like, I don't know, an unreasonable demand from life. I think we need some uh cheerful ending to this conversation so let me ask you then uh what is your wish for the new year now that we are still in the new year mode what the i don't know <laughs> is that cheerful <laughs> i don't know after the last after the last two years 
I feel a sense of dread thinking about what could possibly go wrong this year. <laughs> Is it cheerful to think that know. like nothing awful happens? Okay, which, which animal do you hope to enter your backyard? Oh, owl. Owl? Oh, yeah. Maybe an owl will come live with us. That would be fantastic. I would love that. <laughs> Again, I can't do this for you. <laughs> I help with like world problems <laughs> with everything that's wrong with the world um but maybe it will help with the owls and the <laughs> owls are super cute but uh don't if you if you if you want to find out if an owl is living in a hole you don't find out by sticking your face into it <laughs> Solid advice. <laughs>